I just want to, to thank you. I really appreciate all of you bearing with me as I express my excitement, obviously, during this whole Wheel of Fortune adventure with Otto and Olivia. And just rest assured that I didn't just beat it to death with you guys, right? Everybody I seemed to come across, even strangers or old acquaintances, clerks at the grocery store even, somehow it just started coming out. Hey, my kids are going to be on TV. And, and, and I got to thinking, why is it? Why is it that we seem to be able to, with such ease, you know, share that sort of information about a TV show or what's going on in our lives or a good sale where you found a nice suit, right, or a, um, you know, a good steak for a good price? Why is it so easy to talk to people about things and news? But do we really share with them the very best news of all? The very best news of all. The fact that Jesus has gone to the cross to pay the debt for our sins that was buried in the grave and three days later rose? I mean, that's terrific. That's life-changing news for somebody. That through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that all people of every nation on this earth, of every race, of every color, of every socioeconomic status, that they have the opportunity. They have the opportunity to be forgiven, to be saved, to be brought into this right relationship with God through Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. Now, that, now that's news. And the Bible calls it the good news. See, there are people who still haven't heard this good news. Or they've heard bits and pieces of the good news, and they just haven't put it together yet. Let me share with you an example. One of my greatest joys, I mean, a time of, of really, really deep happiness, right, was when a personal friend of mine gave his life to Christ, and there's evident fruit in his life now that he gave his life to Christ. See, he was, he was 49 years old, and he is 49 years old now. And when he was 40, he made this decision to live his life for Christ. So that means for the majority of his life, he's living outside of Christ. He's living outside either not knowing or not caring about the eternal consequences of his sin. He either doesn't care or he doesn't know that there's forgiveness offered for him from God and adoption back into God's family. Through the blood of Christ, praise God that he is patient, he is slow to anger, and he gave my friend time to repent and give his life to Christ. See, if you're like me, and many of you are, I had a foundation. If you're like me, I went to church as a kid. I heard the word of God preached in that church. I had godly parents at home who honored and loved our Lord, and they modeled that for me. But my friend, he didn't have that. He didn't have that. He, he didn't have that family. He didn't know about Christ. My friend is dying in his sins. You know, who's going to tell him about this forgiveness? Will my great friend, my brother, who I love, is he going to die in his sins and face eternal separation from God? Thankfully, there were witnesses placed around my friend's life, and God used them to call him into the saving relationship with Christ. So last week, Rick shared three examples of personal evangelism, and he asked me to share three more today because it's important to both of us. It really should be important to all of us, everyone, all of us. Important because although it's uncomfortable at times to share Christ with others, this is not a message that Mark or Rick or another pastor invented for you. This is a command from our Lord 
The Great Commission is something that Christ has commanded us to do. And indeed, this is our Great Commission. Last week, we saw, we saw where Peter was confrontational. That was his style. He was comfortable with that. Peter had no problem going up to somebody and telling them the error of their ways, telling them the truth. Now, if you have that gift from God, that's great. You can be confrontational like Peter if you need to be. And we also saw where Paul used the more intellectual approach. He would reason with people. He laid out the evidences, and he was very persuasive. And God used that to change people's hearts. And you might be able to use the intellectual approach like Paul. And finally, we examined the blind man's testimonial approach. He told a story. And we all have a story. We all have a very unique story about what God's done for us in our lives. Often just sharing your story with someone will plant seeds that the Father will water and grow. So now it's possible that there wasn't an example presented last week that's within your comfort zone. So today I've got good news. I've got good news of a different sort. The good news is, is we're going to look at three more examples of personal evangelism that can be incorporated into our daily life. We're going to look at an example from Matthew, the tax collector, Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, and the Samaritan woman at the well. All three were witnesses for Christ, and all three used slightly different approaches. So let's begin with looking at the interpersonal approach of Matthew. And before we begin, let's set the stage a little bit. In Luke chapter 5, we read where Jesus just healed a paralytic man who was brought through the roof because of the crowds, right? Even early in Jesus' ministry, there's always crowds around him, always crowds following him. So they lower the man through the roof, and Jesus heals him. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And this made the Pharisees angry, right? Because they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? See, even early in his ministry, Jesus is equating himself with God. He's equating himself with God. And, as we, and it's a bold proclamation that he verified on his resurrection. And as we looked at on Sunday nights, both in this class and the adult class in junior high, that means that statement, your sins are forgiven, he, he's either a liar, he's a crazy lunatic, or he's Lord. And we know that he is Lord through his resurrection. So that's the stage that's set. And in Luke chapter 5, 27 through 31, we read, After that, after he just healed the paralytic man who was lowered through the roof, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi, or Matthew, gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let's, put, let's all put ourselves in Matthew's shoes this morning. Okay? We read where Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, and Matthew left everything and followed Jesus. So like Matthew, we, all of us in this room, are followers of Jesus. Now, leaving everything behind as Matthew did, the commitment he had, that could be a topic for another day. But for today, we are all followers of Jesus. So what did Matthew, as a fellow follower, do next? He threw a reception. He threw a reception for Jesus. Some people, some translations call it a banquet. Now, Matthew must have liked to eat, right? 
So therefore, as fellow followers of Jesus, guess what? We like to eat too. That's awesome. We like to eat too. So, so during this reception, this banquet, this meal, using what Bill Hybel termed the interpersonal pr- approach, his friends were introduced to Jesus. Right? I mean, this should be easy for us in our culture. Half, if not more, of our functions we go to involve food. And it's very normal in our culture as we're getting to know somebody to share a meal with them. Right? And this could be at your house. It could be at a restaurant. Just make food and invite people over. And you know what? They'll come. They'll come when there's food involved. Have a backyard barbecue. I mean, this is what we see Matthew doing here. Right? He used food, a meal, a banquet as a conduit to invite people over so he could introduce them to Jesus. And over the meal, as we've experienced your relationship with people, it's deepened. You have their attention for a while. Your relationship is deepened. And this is really critical, I think, if we're going to be light to the world and and share the good news, is that we build a relationship first and then look for opportunities to share with people. You know, Theodore Roosevelt once said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that the truth? Build a relationship. Show somebody you care about them. Show somebody you love them. Extend love to your neighbor. Be the one who cares enough about them, that you care enough about that individual that you're going to tell them the very best news of all, salvation through Christ and Christ alone. Hmm. And you can, use, you can use food or a meal to do that. Another important aspect of this passage is to notice who Jesus ate with. He ate with a large crowd of tax collectors and others. And since tax collectors were despised in that day, right? They were scoundrels. They were considered cheats. They were like the low of the low. Then these others, we can assume, must not have been men of upstanding moral character. Can you imagine for a second the reaction of the other disciples? Peter, Andrew, James, and John just leaving, seeing the paralytic man who's healed after he's lowered. They must have left that house just skipping and just excited. And then Jesus stops by Matthew's booth, a tax collector, and calls him. What were they thinking? Were they like, wait, Jesus, we don't want him on our team. Were they possibly thinking, Jesus, that's a tax collector. We don't want him on, in our group. We don't, we don't talk to them. See, just the person that we make a quick judgment about, about how they look, how they act, what they do, could be just the person that Jesus wants to place right here on our team, within our group, within this body of believers. Jesus makes this so clear when he said that the healthy do not need a physician, but rather the sick. Now, think of your circle of friends you hang out with, that you confide in, that you share time with. Are they healthy? Are they Christians? To be quite honest, most of mine are, because a lot of you are in my my friendship group. But Jesus gives us a whole different picture, right? He sought out the lost. He sought out the downtrodden, the forgotten, the poor, the outcasts of society. Jesus... It seemed like he drew sinners to him, right? He, he drew sinners to him. He made himself available. He was their friend, not their foe. The lost people, the sinners, they weren't running from Jesus. They weren't, there's Jesus, I better run and get away from him. They weren't trying to avoid him. They flocked to him. 
We, we see examples of this in Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Why? Why were they flocking to Jesus? It certainly wasn't because Jesus had an easy message and tickled their ears. And it certainly wasn't because Jesus compromised on sin. The answer, I think, is what we read in verse 2. He received them. He welcomed them. And the Greek word there is he received them as a friend. This was Jesus' attitude to those who were lost. And it should be our attitude also. Jesus loved everyone. So, as a follower... As a follower of Jesus, like Matthew, his approach is something that I really believe that many in this room could do this week. We could start building relationships with people, plant seeds that God will water to grow his kingdom. And remember that God's kingdom isn't grown like earthly kingdoms. God's kingdom isn't grown by a country taking over another country and expanding their geographical borders. God's kingdom is grown one person at a time accepting Jesus as Lord of their life. And since we all like to eat, try Matthew's approach. Get to know people, and when the time is right, ask them to share a meal with you. Go out for coffee. Do whatever seems natural. But build a relationship and look for opportunities to share your personal story and ultimately the Word of God. The interpersonal approach of Matthew. Connect with people. Connect with people. Jesus always seemed to be hanging out with people to whom he wanted to reach. Now, maybe this connecting or building a relationship scares you. It's not your style. You're not comfortable with it. So let's look at another example found in Acts chapter 9 from Dorcas. Here we read of Dorcas or Tabitha, who was known for deeds of kindness and charity. Let's read Acts chapter 9, 36. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make when she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Acts of kindness is our second model of personal evangelism today. Acts of kindness, service, helping others when there's a need. This is an obvious approach, right? And this is what we see Dorcas doing in Acts chapter 9. She made garments for people. She, she did acts of service. I watched an interview recently with Lee Strobel. Does that name ring a bell? Lee Strobel, who's a, a Christian author who sold millions of copies of, of, of a lot of his books, the most famous one being this one, the, the Case for Christ, where he used an intellectual approach to really build a case for Christ. Lee Strobel was an atheist. Lee Strobel did not believe in God at all. 
He was a writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. He was a journalist and he had a law degree. And his wife was in the same boat. His wife is an atheist, doesn't believe in God. So what happened? What happened from a guy who's an atheist to the case for Christ and selling millions of copies? What happened? Well, one day when Lee was at work, his wife was at home in their housing complex, and a neighbor brought over some cookies. Cookies. And over cookies, a relationship was formed, and they started meeting routinely. And the wife's newfound friend invited her to church, where Lee's wife heard the gospel message and over time became a Christian whereby Lee starts noticing changes in his wife's behavior at home, her outlook on things, how she's handling situations. And after inviting Lee numerous times to church from his wife, he eventually goes. And he sits in the back row with his arms crossed, and he wants to find everything possibly wrong about this because he doesn't want to believe it. And he couldn't. He couldn't. He heard a message of love, of grace, of forgiveness. And he said, if I'm going to believe this, then I'm going to read, I'm going to, Go out on a two-year journey, and I'm either going to prove, prove or disprove it by using evidence found in history. And guess what? It overwhelmingly proved the case for Christ. Cookies. It started with cookies, an act of kindness. There are neighbors all around us. There are people all around us every day where an act of kindness, a simple act of service can build a bridge right between you and them. And more importantly, and in Lee's case, it builds a bridge between somebody who is what? Dead in their sins, folks. Dead in their sins. A bridge to Jesus. The only one, the only one who can save them from that condition and give them life. This shouldn't be a task for us. This really shouldn't be hard for us to serve others as we strive to be more like Christ. As we're new creatures in Christ. As our minds are being transformed to look at the world differently, to look at the world through eyes of a creator who loves everybody, who's full of grace and mercy. And as our eyes are being transformed too, as new creatures in Christ, our hearts are being changed, should be changed from pride and selfishness to humbleness and willing to serve others, servitude. Christ himself said in Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Who did Christ serve? Everyone. He didn't turn anybody away. The demoniac in Capernaum. The paralyzed guy who was lowered through the roof. The woman with eternal bleeding. The withered hand on the Sabbath. The lame hand on the Sabbath. The blind, the deaf. The deaf. And then there were the lepers. While lepers suffered banishment from family and friends and society, Jesus broke through those barriers. He treated lepers with compassion, touching them sometimes for the first time in years that they have received a human touch. And he healed them. Let's start seeing people that we come across every day, we interact with every day through the eyes of Jesus inside you. See their value, the absolute love that Christ has for them. And more importantly, as we go share our light, spread our light to the world, wake up in the morning and live that day intentionally for Jesus. Live it intentionally for him, continuing in his model of serving others, through which we can live out the Great Commission and spread the good news.
Finally, the invitational approach of the Samaritan woman at the well. So like the blind man from last week, the Samaritan woman at the well also has a story. She's a, it's an example of her simply telling her story of what has happened to you. After her interaction with Jesus at the well, and many of you know that story. We're not going to go through it in depth today. But she didn't have answers to how Jesus knew all about her, but she had a testimony. And so, and she took it one step further, though. We read in John 4, 29 and 30, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. So she shares her personal story. The man told me everything that I ever did. And then her invitational approach surfaced. And that's our final approach of personal evangelism is the invitational approach. Right? She cared about her village. She cared about her neighbors. And what was her, what did she say? Come and see. She went, I can almost picture her going to her village after this encounter with Jesus and grabbing them and saying, come and see. Putting her arm around and possibly come. You've got to see. You've got to meet this man. That was her approach. Come and see. Come and meet Jesus. The invitational approach of the Samaritan woman is so fitting to conclude our six examples. Right? It's so fitting. Because whether we, whether we reason with people like Paul, whether we confront people like Peter, whether we build relationships deeper with people like Matthew, whether we serve people like Dorcas, whether we tell our story like the blind man, we should finish we should finish with the invitational approach of this Samaritan woman at the well. Come and see. Come and see. Come learn more about the one who left heaven, right? Who left his rightful home to come to earth, to die on a cross for us because of his great love for us. After the invitation, when Jesus saw them coming, the people from a Samaritan village, no less, he said in John 4, 35 and 36, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are ripe for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. This, to me, is an absolute beautiful, beautiful picture. And I really hope you go back and rethink this picture of what Jesus is saying right there in John. Because as people from the village accept this invitation and are coming to Jesus, just like the lost people in this world today, the people of the village, as they're coming towards him, what does he say? He says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, he... Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. Eternal life. That is what Jesus is offering through his sacrifice on the cross to all humanity. Eternal life. This is why it's so important to identify your gifts. Identify your style that we've been going through and then do it. Live out your great commission. Don't hear these two weeks of sermons on evangelism and don't do anything. What's the point of that? Don't hear these and not do anything. Why? Why? Because Jesus, our Lord who we serve, he cares deeply, deeply about the eternal destiny of his creation. 
and he wants to give them eternal life to all who choose to follow him on this earth as Lord. We do this for him, right? We witness for him. We don't witness to others to make ourselves look good, to elevate ourselves into a super Christian. And we really don't witness to others to build this bot to, to, for numbers, for numbers purposes, to build our body of believers here. We witness for him, for Jesus, because that's what he wants us to do. And we obey. We witness so... This is what really struck me. We witness so the, so the very last part of that sentence. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. We witness for, for Jesus. He who reaps may be glad, may rejoice. That's why we do it. When we witness, when this process is happening, Jesus is honored, right? He's glorified. He's magnified. He is, and guess what? He is glad. He rejoices. And the fact that the sower who's right there, and that's me, I'm sowing the seeds through acts of service or whatever, and then he who reaps may rejoice together, that together I get to be glad and happy with Jesus in this process? Wow. That is powerful. That's a powerful picture. And that, if nothing else, wants me to be a better witness for our Lord, to make him rejoiceful. To conclude, let me read to you an interesting study documented in a book by Tim Harlow, who's the lead pastor at Parkview Christian Church in the suburbs of Chicago. In his book titled Life on Mission, he states this. Several years ago, two Princeton psychologists decided to conduct an experiment based on the story of the Good Samaritan. They met with a group of seminary students and asked them to prepare a short talk on a biblical theme, and then walk over to a nearby building and present it. Along the way, they set up a situation. They planted a man who would be slumped in an alley with his head down, his eyes closed, coughing and groaning. The plant would appear to be in obvious need of help. Naturally, the researchers wanted to see which seminary students would stop and help, and they built in a couple variables. First, they asked the motives of the people studying to go into the ministry. Was it for your, pers- your personal spiritual fulfillment or was it to help others? What's your motive? Second, they had one group of seminary students prepare a talk on the role of the professional clergy. And they had another group prepare a short talk on the story of the Good Samaritan. They told one group they needed to hurry. They had to rush to the pres- presentation site because they were already late. They told the other group that there was plenty of time to get to the auditorium. Now, we would assume, obviously, that students studying to go into the ministry to help others would surely stop and help this man. Also, we certainly would assume that those who had just heard the story of the Good Samaritan would surely stop and help this man. Nope. The psychologists found that neither of those variables mattered at all. According to the study's analysis, on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried on his way. So what was the key here? 
The researchers discovered that the only variable that mattered was if the student had been told that he or she was in a hurry. Only 10% of those in a hurry stopped, but 63% of those who had more time stopped to assist the victim. Our lives are busy. I get that. But please don't let them get too busy where we don't have enough time to live out our great commission. We can never forget that part of our walk with our Lord is not only meeting here to learn and to be challenged. It's not only going to Bible studies throughout the week in small groups. But a very important part of our walk with our Lord is sharing the good news. Just as the early Christians routinely celebrated communion to remember to remember God's grace, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Then as Rick pointed out, we too have something for you today. These little handy flashlights. Let your light shine, Chatham Christian Church. I love these things. You probably did too over Father's Day. I mean, they're perfect size. They fit in your very best junk drawer at home. So just pick out your, your most favorite junk and you'll know right where it is. You'll know right where it is. And we encourage you that, you know, next month or two weeks from now, as you're digging for this and, you're, and you need this little flashlight, read these words. And I, I really strongly encourage you this morning to read them and stop. Don't just rush to that activity that we're talking, you know. Stop and think. Let your light shine, Chatham Christian Church. And ask yourself the tough question. How am I doing? How am I doing? Let this, let, as you read this, let your light shine. Please remember these six different approaches that Rick and I talked about. And just ask yourself, hey, how am I doing? Am I sharing the love of Christ with my neighbor, with my coworker, with my friends at school? Or am I just stepping over people as I go about my busy day? with activities that I've decided to fill it with because I think they're important. Let's rejoice in this gladness with Jesus that we read about in John with the woman at the well. Let's rejoice together, the sower and the reaper. Let's rejoice together as we're witnessing and Jesus is calling people to him. Because in this beautiful process, we play a very small part in really the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles of all, which is the changing of one's heart. So let's stand and sing today. And let's never forget to be witnesses for Jesus. Let's stand and sing, Send the Light. It's 437 in our hymnal.